what or why? The thing that always intrigued me is actually what happens in nature. The reason I find it interesting is that in life, in the Bible, we go through seasons. And we talk about the winter season being the end. But in the winter, the trees actually go dormant and stop producing our oxygen. And so we get the jet stream to move it. God designed the atmosphere to move. And so in the winter season, in the final season, the heavens move like they've never moved before. And they become the supplier of what the earth was providing. So I've always just thought it was interesting. I'm not one to enjoy the winter. Autumn is my favorite. I am truly envious of Vermont, that area. I love their fall. But as far as winters go, we don't have a bad one. We just have a long one. Amen. We're starting a new section. And so this morning, we're going to look at a very familiar passage, probably the most well-known in the gospel according to John, chapter 3, verse 16. Hopefully we know it. If those that don't, then allow me to introduce it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So this morning we're going to talk about everlasting life. And our icebreaker is, do you like trying new things? And why or why not? Yeah. But new technology at work, no. <laughs> I get that. I am a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if you know it, it's not new. <laughs> You calculate risk. See, I I calculate risk different. I assume after three combat tours, I am on extra time. <laughs> so I feel like, hey, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> My extra time just goes away. That's the worst possibility. 
Oddly enough, I've always been an adrenaline junkie, but as a father, I have never been afraid of heights. My wife is. I, I, I'm not. I, I'm more afraid if the structure is not sound when I'm up there. But being high has never actually like bothered me when it comes to heights until I became a father. I have never experienced vertigo until my kids got close to the edge. I don't know what it is. I can stand by the rail, I can look over it, I can do all this, but if my kids come near it, I will get vertigo. It's a strange thing. So, I have never, I don't mind trying things new, but I might not try them again. <laughs> but in this teaching, we have arguably one of the most famous scriptures most well-known by the world. And what is odd about it is while they may know it, they don't really take the time to unpack it. It's one thing to know the word. It's another thing to know what it meant. It does you no good to quote the Bible and it not be able to take root in you. Because the devil can demonstrate he can quote scripture and completely miss the truth in it. Right now, people will be like, oh, well, this is awesome. It is awesome. John 3.16 is amazing. But there's a lot going on in the third chapter of John. There is a lot going on. And typically, we only touch on a couple things. But what's interesting is it starts, there was a man of the Pharisees. This is amazing to me. Because the Pharisee showed up. And I don't know if you're familiar with the story, the Pharisees were not the biggest fans of Jesus. You know, spoiler alert for nobody who's read it yet. <laughs> they were not the biggest fans. And yet, here comes a Pharisee. And he is seeking Jesus. He was a ruler and he came by night. And he came to the Lord. I have found that in your night season, it is time to find out where Jesus is. Often, I find that I am having to encourage people in their darkness and be encouraged in mine. And so it is time to show up when it's dark because questions are arising. It is not the time to assume you know. When they showed up, there was Pharisees that sent their servants to John the Baptist to see what he was doing. And in 
when they asked John the Baptist, they didn't really care what he was saying. They wanted to know, who do you say you are? And here's the problem. When we are more concerned with who's preaching than what's being preached, that's an issue. Who do you say you are to say these things? I don't care who says it. I really don't. If the pastor wants to let Jackson stand up here and preach to me, I'm going to listen. I'm going to make sure it's biblical. I'm going to test it. And I'm going to pray about it. Because it doesn't matter who said it. What was said matters. But now we're talking about Jesus. We're not talking about John the Baptist. Who says it now matters. <laughs> because ultimately, the word of the Lord stands. And so he's coming, and what is interesting about this is he says, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, he has not got the revelation, this is the Christ. He has not got the revelation, this is God now robing himself in flesh. But he is convinced God is with you and you are a teacher. You are a teacher. Now, it's interesting to me that in the Gospels, Jesus, when he was a young lad, taught in the temple. And he, he absolutely blew their minds. And yet when it was time to go, not one of them tried to stop him. Because I have found with myself and I will keep it solely on me. When I think I know everything, not only buckle up, but I'm not trying to keep that which is showing me otherwise. I'm not trying to surround myself with that. There is a danger that can happen. There is a danger where I'm willing to allow teaching to leave and not care because it showed me up. I'm getting into a season of my life that is odd. I'm now old. Now I realize who I'm talking to, right? Because it's all about perspective. But what I mean is, I remember when being 40 was considered old to me. It was old. I was like, man, that's old. And now, oddly enough, my spirit doesn't feel that old. I still feel probably somewhere in my early, mid-20s, spiritually as a man, 
but my body has definitely let me know you're not 20 anymore. It lets me know all the things I did when I was 20. And it reminds me every day I woke up. Do you remember that? I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> but I can get to a place where my age starts to hinder me because if I show up to a youth function and the youth are preaching to me, I can be listening to see how well they preach rather than listening to what they preached. And Jesus is speaking to one of the rulers of the Jews. This is a humbling experience to come as one of the top and come to him and say, teach me. I have questions. We have to understand we will never get a single answer until we humble ourselves. God resists the proud. You cannot come to him in pride and expect a response. That's not going to work. I've tried it. I'm just being honest. I have, I have entered the throne room making my demands. And, uh, you know, best of luck to you. <laughs> it did not fare well for me. But what's interesting to me is it says, we know. We know. Well, if you all know, why are you by yourself? And one of the things that I really believe is that in your night season, you're going to find it's lonely. It's lonely. In the darkness, this is a lonely time. Because it's a time of invitation to get closer to God. Do you really want to know? He says, we see these miracles that you do, we know. This is why you can't read the chapters as if they're independent. God does everything with a purpose, and he started the miracles to open this conversation. Chapter 2, the beginning of the miracles through the water turned to wine, opened this conversation to become possible. We need the miraculous power of God to reach the Pharisees of the world. They are not going to be convinced that we know better. They're not going to be convinced through an argument of doctrine. Now, I'm not saying don't seed the word and the word doesn't have power. But when my brother came to see me, he came in his transgressions. And he came because Melanie was born. 
Now, I didn't know that Melanie was a girl because our doctor used, well, how's he doing? And I didn't realize that he was using he as a general term. I was like, well, that is about the most anticlimactic way to tell me I'm having a son, but okay. <laughs> sure. So we never questioned it. But we would have never known because the way Melanie was sitting, she was sitting with her head up and her back was constantly to the ultrasound. So you would have never got a clear picture anyway. But we prayed over Melanie because we had fasted. We had fasted all beverages except water for 40 days. When that happened, at the completion of it, I was at work and I'm driving down Skelac Road and all of a sudden the road just stretches out into a tunnel. And I heard a voice and it said, Kristen's pregnant. And that tunnel came back to normal. I'm like, well, I'm out of cell phone range. I guess, I guess we'll take the test when, when work's done. Well, at the same time, she's looking in the mirror and she gets this unction. You're pregnant. So we're all both on the same page right after the completion of a fast saying, God, we want you. We didn't ask for anything. We didn't ask to get pregnant. We just asked for his will. And here it was, a baby. His blessing was life after we thought we couldn't have it. And so, I prayed over that kid. Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with this baby, but please let it be used to draw our family into this truth. Let it be a net that I can cast to draw them in. So upon the birth, here comes my family. Now my family cannot be in a room with each other. There are certain elements on the periodic table you do not mix. <laughs> These are those. I learned the truth through my upbringing that human love is not enough to hold a house together when it's built on sand. It is not through their failure. It is not through a lack of strength. It is that this is an impossibility. When the storms will not relent, you are not strong enough to keep your house together. And so, having this, I invited my family to come and visit whenever they chose. Unbeknownst to me, they all called and said that they're going to arrive at the same hour and they didn't know it. Now, I don't know if you've seen the hospital rooms. I'm like, uh-oh. Like, you know, this is about boxing ring size. <laughs> like, all right. So I spent three hours praying over the room. Three hours. And when they arrived, they sat there, looked at the baby, and said nothing to each other. They just sat there quiet. I sat there smiling. They're like, oh, this is a beautiful baby. And they left after about an hour. I'm like, well, that, that went decent. About as good as can be expected. 
They hit the parking lot and immediately were fighting with each other. My brother called me and he, he called me on the drive home and he said, what is different with you? I said, you know, but you don't want to hear. And he said, what did you do? I said, what do you mean? He said, I have never been in a place and felt peace like that before. And I said, well, I said, if you want to know, then you're welcome to come back and sit in my house and I'll tell you. And so he showed up. Now, he showed up in his transgressions. He showed up in the world, still bound, which was fine. I don't need you to shake off your chains. I just need you to hear. I'm not your deliverer. I'm just here to tell you who can do it. And so when that happened, he's like, man. He looked around. He's like, you don't have a TV in your home. So he went home and he unplugged his TV. And he's like, well, he called me up. Well, that's not working. I said, that's because it's not it. So he came down and he looked in my house more. Like, well, I see you don't have this. So he, he took that out. Well, it's not working. Well, that's not it. And eventually I went and I prayed for three days fasting. And I told God, I said, Lord, in the book of Acts, I see that you do miracles. And with Nicodemus, you were able to speak to him because he knew miracles we're done through you. I said, I need the miraculous key that will open his heart. I need something only you can do. I said, I have told him about you. I have witnessed. I have told him what you've done for me. And I said, now I need you to do something. And so he came back. After God gave me an answer on the third day of my fast. And he said, I will give you a key that will unlock life for him. I said, okay, I'm listening. And he said, a math, Matthew in chapter 11, tell him, come to me, all ye that are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. And this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, if you tell him to read that out loud and tell me, he said, all he has to do is say, Lord, if you're real, be faithful to your word. He said, I will give him a night with no war nightmares. Now, you don't tell veterans this because nothing takes those away. The only thing you can do is get drunk or high enough that you don't remember them. And so I looked at him. I said, this is what God said. And he looked at me. He said, I don't believe that. I said, I don't care if you believe it. He didn't ask you to believe it. He said, if you will do this, he will do. He doesn't need your faith because I used mine.
And so he's like, well, can I stay here tonight? I was like, yeah, sure. He left in the morning. He didn't do it, but he took the Bible with the verse highlighted. He went up there, and I told him, I said, this is what you have to do. Read it. Declare it. I said, you sleep with that Bible like you would a teddy bear. And I said, all you have to do is just don't be drunk or high. That's what you have to do in faith. And he's like, it's going to make the nightmares worse. I said, there won't be any. I said, if you do this and you show up, I said, it is going to happen. And he's like, okay. And so he did. He did. And he called me up the next day and he said, I have never slept like that before. And he said, what is this? And I said, that's Jesus. And he said, so he did it for five days straight. Five days straight and he got peace every single night. He slept like a baby and rested. He called me up. He said, this is real. I said, yes, it is. He said, what do I have to do? I said, you have to be born again. Because when Jesus came, the first thing that he told Nicodemus is you have to be born again. You have to be birthed into this kingdom. You have to be birthed into the spirit. Which is why I tell people when they come to the church, Make sure you want to commit to God. Because the moment He quickens your spirit and makes it alive and takes you from being dead in your transgressions, the last thing you want to do is go mess with wicked spirits with a now living spirit. If you think that the attack of the flesh was bad, you just wait till He can talk to your spirit. Which is often why backsliders become some of the worst sinners. It's not because they're bad people. It's because they can hear the voice of the enemy more clearly than those in the world. But what is so amazing about this is we get transfixed on the water and the spirit. And I know why we do. I understand but I'm not here to talk about that so much because we know this. You need to be born of the water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. You need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost that is evident by speaking in other tongues. Why would you speak in other tongues? Because the tongue is an absolute unruly member. Who can tame it other than the Lord? It is the first time that out of your mouth has come pure words. And yet, when he says this, he's like, well, how, how can I be born again? Should I go back into my mother's womb? Now, I've heard, you know, congregations laugh. I've heard preachers laugh. I can't imagine being told that and not have the answer. 
be born again, what does that mean? And I have to give credit to a ruler among the Pharisees to humble himself and admit he doesn't understand. Because church, there is a danger for us that when we become the teachers, we can become unteachable. That I, in my Phariseeism, present myself as all-knowing. That I present myself infallible. And it's not true. God's grace overcomes my, in, my, my failure. His strength makes up for my weakness. Now, I'm not saying this to say that where I'm preaching some once saved, always saved. What I am saying is I recognize there are certain things in my life that I cannot say no to without him every day. I don't have the strength to resist this long term. I may have the strength, a measure of me, to stop this today, maybe stop this tomorrow, maybe stop this for a month, but eventually I know this thing left to attack solely me is going to win. I can't stop this by myself. And so I need him. And what is so critical here is he calls it everlasting life. To the world, life is temporary. Death is everlasting. But to God... Death is temporary and life is everlasting. He can take us dead in our transgressions and bring us into life. This is something that is so amazing to me. And what I have found is that in the night season, God can tell you plainly some things and you still won't understand you have to be born again you have to be born of water you have to be born of spirit there's no mincing words there Jesus wasn't playing with his understanding and what I found is if God tells me something that makes no sense it's because where I'm at can't understand it. And it will require him leading me to the position that he can show me what he spoke about. He spoke to Nicodemus about you need to be born again. And then in the book of Acts, we see the new birth become operational. I tend to believe that Nicodemus was one of the 120. A man that respected him enough to show up and humble himself. 
I tend to believe he was there. Because a word of you need to be born again, and he wants to know. I'm trying to teach people how to get to life, and I don't even know how to get there myself. Because church, there is a thing that happens in Christianity. There is a thing that can happen, and it happens often in Judaism. It is us equating that saying no to the world is the same thing as saying yes to God. You not drinking liquor is not the same thing as you drinking the new wine. Not eating from the tree of good and evil is not the same thing as eating from the tree of life. Just because I am trying to deny one does not mean I am necessarily partaking of the other. This is an invitation into something that is beyond us. And it is beyond our understanding. It really is. We cannot get to these places that God speaks of if we pretend that we actually know what he's talking about. Everlasting life, what does that mean? What does eternity mean? Well, if I ask anybody, well, it just means time is going on forever and it never ends. That's not true. Read your Bible. Time is done away with. He does away with time. Eternity, time doesn't exist there. You make eternity as an abundance of time. But eternity is the absence of time. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know. When he's talking about everlasting life, I don't know. I know what it means to come into life. I know what it means to feel joy and peace and security and the love and the move of God and the touch and the reconciliation. I know what that means. But he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come to give life and life more abundantly. What does life more abundantly mean? How can I pretend that I know and still preach? Well, I only see them darkly, but I will be transformed. How can I know what that means without my transformation? And this is Paul, having seen the third heaven, tell you I only see them darkly. Because not even Paul understands the third heaven. And I know that's a bold statement, but he was seeing it in an untransformed form. He was seeing it from a place that only this would be able to understand. He's not even transformed into perfection yet. Church, the thing that is being opened up is so immense that he tells them it's like the wind. He talks about the water. He talks about the spirit. But then he says, it's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from. 
You don't know where it's going. And it's like that for those that are born of the Spirit. The sound. But church, what happens when we get into that dimension? Really. What happens when we get into a dimension that the Spirit is moving and doing as He pleases? And we don't even know where it started. We don't know where it's going to end. But we're just in a place where you feel it, you hear it, you're caught up in it. For us to come into church and think we know how this service is going to happen. That's not humble. That's not humble. Well, I know they're going to play three songs. After the second song, we're going to take an offering. I'll get my coat on. I'll get ready. Okay. And I don't mean this with any, with any disrespect. That's us putting on a function and a service. That's what man's doing. And man is trying to be obedient and do his best. What does God intend to do? I'm not talking what does God intend to do through the man of God, because the man of God is going to come up here and preach. What does God intend to do? Because we are missing it if we think that the only person that really needs a touch from God is the one who hasn't touched the water yet. You need life. But if I assume that I don't need to step into life more abundantly, that simply because I have life, I must automatically be moving in the life more abundantly. And even if you've touched that dimension, you assume that you know all that God can do. He made a new day. Why do you think he didn't make a new thing? This is why it's not wise to compare yourselves among yourselves. You can't look at a sinner and say, you need what I have. Yes, I know you need what I have. But I can't be looking at you to the point that I'm not looking at him and be like, I need more too. I have not arrived there. I push to obtain. I strive. It is a fight for your faith. It must continue to grow. There are deep, deep things with the Lord. And He even comes to bring the promise. He comes to try and tell us. Because when He said He gave, then you have to understand you didn't have it. He gave his son so you could have everlasting life. You didn't have it. But we have access to something. And we haven't even opened the gift yet. We haven't even seen this thing in its fullness. And yet, we get to praise him. And the, the beauty of this present is it's only as great 
as you think he is. God didn't promise you heaven. He promised you him. That's what everlasting life is. You will forever be mine. If you think that the, the great thing of everlasting is that we get to go sit on some cloud and play some harp, I, like, I hate to disappoint you. We get Jesus Christ in the most intimate level possible. The bride of Christ will see him in a way not even the angels have seen him. Because when you become married, you unclothe one another and stand before each other with nothing. You see each other as you are in intimacy. And to unclothe is the word reveal or revelation. You don't walk around naked. But to the bride, there is an intimate level. The angels are servants. Do you understand that they would trade places to see what you're going to see? And that right now, the God that was offering everlasting life, the God that came, to give life and life more abundantly, wishes to give it here. The plan of salvation is open for anyone who hasn't spoken in tongues. The plan of salvation is open for anyone who has yet to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. But the life more abundantly is available too. These dimensions that Paul walked in, they're available. I believe it. We can't claim we're a book of Acts church and then claim that those things are shut. I have a God that I don't even know what he wants to do with me today. All I know is that he wants me. And it's the only reason we're here. This God is amazing. So amazing that he was willing to sit down with a Pharisee and explain to him how to get to him eternally. Most of us, myself included, would be like, don't you know? I'd be a smart aleck. But I'm telling you, I am so grateful that when I had to ask, he treated me like that. And then... Here's the thing. We know salvation on an earthly level, but he says, if you can't believe me for earthly things, how can I ever tell you heavenly things? Church, until we know that God is with us, until we accept that he will get us through these storms, that there is nothing that can overtake us, we will live on an earthly dimension. We will only be fed earthly provision because he cannot tell us about the heavenly because we don't believe him when he tells us about the earthly. There is a dimension of access when you just trust him and believe him knowing he's God and he cannot lie. 
that he gave so we could have everlasting life. And he says, this is the condemnation of the world, that men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. They don't want to come to light because they will be reproved, not condemned, but corrected. You will be taught this is wrong. They don't want to be taught. And church, I can't sit here if I myself become unteachable and think that I don't have the heart of a sinner. If they don't want to be taught that they need this, how am I different if I can't be taught I need to go to there? Amen? All right. So let's greet one another. Let's get ready. Let's throw away our preconceptions and let's enter into the everlasting life. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat>